Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I turn to Scripture and our faith for inspiration and guidance. I hope that you find something of value here, no matter what your faith background or focus. I come from a Lutheran background, which influences the way that I approach the Bible. But I try to do so in a way that respects everyone's appreciation of Holy Scripture. This coming week, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving in America. It began as a day of giving thanks for the blessings of the harvest of the preceding year. Similarly named harvest festivals occur throughout the world during autumn, including in Germany and Japan. Thanksgiving is celebrated on the second Monday of October in Canada and on the fourth Thursday of November in the United States and around the same part of the year in other places. Although Thanksgiving has historical roots in religious and cultural traditions, it has long been celebrated as a secular holiday as well. The first Thanksgiving in America occurred in November 1621, following a fruitful corn harvest by the newly arrived pilgrims. It was made possible by the help of the indigenous tribes who shared their agricultural knowledge with them. In response, Governor William Bradford determined that the pilgrims should celebrate their success with a feast. The pilgrims invited the Wampanoag tribe and their chief, Massasoit, to the feast as well. The feast was not originally called Thanksgiving. In fact, experts are unsure of the feast's original name and what food pilgrims and the Native Americans served at the feast. What is known is that the celebratory feast lasted for three days. Another detail about the first Thanksgiving is that the feast likely featured Native American dishes as opposed to European ones. Additionally, it's unlikely that the pilgrims enjoyed desserts during the first Thanksgiving as their sugar supply had decreased significantly by November 1621. In other words, probably no pumpkin pie. Thanksgiving became an official national holiday in 1863. President Abraham Lincoln declared the new holiday while the Civil War was going on, and President Lincoln felt it appropriate to give thanks and play homage to the lives lost in the conflict. Furthermore, he scheduled the holiday for the last Thursday in November. Franklin D. Roosevelt later changed the holiday to occur on the fourth Thursday of every November. How will you celebrate Thanksgiving this year? For most of us, that question turns our thoughts to our family and local traditions. As in many households, my family's celebration of Thanksgiving centers around a feast. The main feature of that feast is turkey. Any other meat just will not do in my family. For us, sides of mashed potatoes and gravy made from turkey drippings, simple bread dressing with giblets, candied yams and cranberry sauce are non-negotiable as are homemade or brown and served dinner rolls. There is a perennial squabble over whether the cranberries should be the jellied ones that slurp out of the can or a sauce made from fresh cranberries. One idiosyncratic dish in our home is seven-layer jello. My wife painstakingly chills each different color layer at a time 
some of which are mixed with sweetened condensed milk to accent the dish with white layers. But that's just us. Then, of course, there's dessert. We've solved the problem of what kind of pie to serve. We simply serve the three basics that different members of our family like. One pumpkin, one pecan, and one chocolate silk. And all of them invite big dollops of freshly whipped whipping cream. In addition to the members of our own family, over the years our home has become a welcoming place for people who we know would otherwise be alone on the holiday. We need some help putting away all that food anyway. The main religious acknowledgement that we make at Thanksgiving is the dinner prayer. Being the pastor in the family, I'm usually the one called upon to offer up the prayer. It's a duty that I like to pass on to someone else so that I can get the day off. Included in that prayer is a dutiful list of the things that we have to be thankful for over the past year. We're always thankful if we have all made it through the year without a major illness. But some years our prayers include saying thanks for a loved one who has died. Although it's not specific to Thanksgiving, there is a biblical text which can serve as a reminder to give thanks to God. It is the recounting of an incident that happens when Jesus and his disciples were traveling. In Luke 17, we read, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And they went, and they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one founded among those lepers who left without saying thanks. But this story makes it clear that the proportion of people who stop to say thanks is pretty bleak. One out of ten. And the one who did give thanks was not even a person of faith. Jesus doesn't directly condemn the unthankful lepers, but you can almost hear the irritation and surprise in his voice when he says, Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So, this Thanksgiving, if you get the opportunity to gather around the table for Thanksgiving feast, before you dig in, take a moment for a prayer of Thanksgiving. Thank God. You might even go around the table and ask each person to name one thing that they are thankful for. That's a better tradition than rainbow jello. Thanksgiving feasts and prayers of thanksgiving are wonderful gestures to God. But when you think about it, that's pretty minimal. 
We need to find a way to make our Thanksgiving last longer than the indigestion we get from overeating. How do we welcome Jesus into our homes, into our lives, and into our hearts all the time? That's the way that we can truly say thank you to God by inviting Jesus in. Well, we're lucky. There's a parable for that, included in a group of stories where Jesus describes what the coming kingdom of God will be like. This parable is found in Matthew. Listen to this. It may be familiar to you, but you've probably never thought of it in the context of thanksgiving. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne in his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that you were a stranger and we welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then also they will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to, the, to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, the righteous into eternal life. Well, there you have it from Jesus himself. The way that you can welcome him in this Thanksgiving is to give sustenance to the hungry and the thirsty. Welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, take care of the sick, visit those in prison. Now, the idea that Christianity has a responsibility to feed the hungry is nothing new. Many of us will be doing literally that this Thanksgiving. In the past, members of my family and people from my church have served Thanksgiving meals at homeless shelters and places like the Salvation Army. Many churches host free holiday meals at this time of year and distribute turkeys and bags of food to people who don't have enough to eat. 
One effective program that many churches and community organizations take part in is Second Harvest Food Bank. Food Bank works with grocery stores and other food retailers to rescue food that otherwise would have been discarded. These food items are safe to eat, but may have been discontinued, product samples, or beyond their advertised sell-by date. Food Bank staff or partner agencies who are contracted through the food bank, pick up donations from area retailers who have agreed to donate foods. The partnerships between the food bank and these retailers ensures that countless pounds of good food do not need to be wasted. Not only is this a way of feeding the hungry, it cuts down on the waste of perfectly good food. You know, there is enough food that no one should go hungry in America. Many of the same organizations that feed the hungry also provide clothing and shelter to those in need. Another way of welcoming Christ. Well, the same is true globally. Unfortunately, food chain disruptions caused by war, corruption, and greed result in many people going hungry every night. Around 2.3 billion people, that's billion with a B, people in the world, 29.3%, were moderately or severely food insecure in 2021. 350 million more compared before the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nearly 924 million people, 11% of the global population, faced food insecurity at severe levels, an increase of 207 million in two years. Now, those numbers seem hopelessly large for us as individuals. However, the dictum, act locally and think globally, allows us to be faithful to our commitment to the hungry at all levels. We can each use our voice to support global initiatives and world hunger. Of course, working to end war is also a part of that. Jesus puts another serious challenge before us, welcoming the stranger. In Jesus' day, there were many refugees and displaced people seeking to eke out a living in Israel. The society of the time would consider isolationist and xenophobic. The people of Israel had a hard enough time under Roman rule surviving and thriving themselves. Jesus does not give his followers the easy way out by saying that because someone is an alien, that isn't my problem. If we're to welcome Jesus, we are to welcome all the strangers. This isn't an unfamiliar problem in the modern world. In America, we see the problem as mainly existing at our southern border. Same problem on a much larger scale exists in dozens of places around the world. The latest conflict between Israel and Hamas in Gaza is going to create a refugee problem of epic proportions. Who will welcome the Gazans, the strangers, whose homes are being destroyed and who are being driven south toward Egypt by the hundreds of thousands? Now, it would be the height of stupidity for anyone to claim a definitive answer 
to the border crisis in the U.S., US let alone all of the onslaughts of refugees around the world. It's hard to even imagine what welcoming the stranger means in this context. However, welcome the stranger stands as a guiding principle in all of our political and sociological problems we face. Because the problem seems unsolvable, our faith does not give us the luxury to give up hope and to give up working. In the present, each of us can learn to challenge our fears and welcome the stranger we encounter in our own little lives. Jesus calls us to care for the sick. Unfortunately, the sick are always with us. On a personal level, most of the people I know are more than willing to step up to help their ailing friends or family. In the past few years, I've faced some health problems myself, and I've always been supported by family and friends. One of the main ministry of most churches is visiting people in the hospital and supporting those who are dying. On a larger scale, however, providing health care for all people is the real challenge. Health care coverage in America is about as volatile an issue as immigration. It's also about as difficult a problem to solve. There are many possible solutions to providing equitable care. And once again, we are informed by Jesus' reminder that caring for the sick, when we care for the sick, we are welcoming him. And caring for the sick is not optional. Health care is not just a matter of politics. It's a matter of faith. Finally, Jesus says that we welcome him when we visit those in prisons. Believe it or not, it's not easy to visit someone other than a relative in jail or in prison. Even as a pastor, I often had to jump through hoops to make jail visits. The situation that Jesus is talking about is somewhat different. The primary purpose of a prison at that time was not to incarcerate individuals for an indefinite period of punishment, but to have a place for them to await trial, often for unjust and political reasons. And it was the responsibility of loved ones and families to provide their basic necessities while the person was in jail. Not only are believers to provide this service for one another, but they are to demonstrate Christ's love by ministering to others who may have no other person to care for them. That being said, there is definitely an issue with incarceration in America. Nearly 1% of our population is in jail, which amounts to about 2.3 million people. That's a big number. It's even more dramatic to know that one in five prisoners in the world is in the U.S. That's 20%. I would suggest that Jesus' comment about caring for prisoners would encourage us to look at our criminal justice system to try to find better ways to deal with those who run afoul of the law than by locking them up. Well, that's quite a lot to chew on other than turkey a turkey leg this Thanksgiving. Bottom line, let us give thanks. Then let us turn our thanks into action. I'll close with a psalm that you might like to share 
at your Thanksgiving dinner table. Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Rememberful, remember the wonderful works he has done. Thank you for joining me today, and have a happy Thanksgiving.